So we have been in a conversation I've called News Not Advice, and the reason for that is that while the church um, has some good advice to give people, too often the church is seen as primarily being about advice, that that the church has advice about how you can go to heaven when you die or how you can conquer an addiction or anything else. The church is full of all kinds of advice, and sometimes people outside the church and maybe even people inside the church can see that as what the church is all about. It's kind of a celestial self-help section. But that would have startled the people in the early church because they did not see what they were about as being the giving and, and sharing of advice. They saw themselves as telling people good news, good news about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at that good news, trying to peel back all the layers and and accretions, the theologies and the theories, the good advice that the church has has come up with over 2,000 years of reflection on the good news, to just hear the good news fresh, to imagine what it must have been like to be in a town in the Mediterranean Rim 2,000 years ago when Peter or Paul or some other uh, member of the early church showed up in your town and said, hey, I've got some good news I'd like to share with you. So that's what we're trying to do. And the way we've been doing that is looking at a letter that Paul wrote, um, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, uh, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, and you've seen it before. But but what it is is about 25 years after the time that Jesus was crucified and died and rose from the grave, Paul wrote this letter. And in it, he says, I passed on to you, so I've already, you've, you've heard this before too, what I had received previously to you. So Paul is saying, this is the story that we've all been telling each other for about 25 years. I handed on to you of first importance what I had in turn received, that a Christ died and, here, I'm going to get it from mine. So um, that 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 uh, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he goes on and talks about how Christ had appeared to different people. But for Paul, that is the center of what the church is about. That is the good news, and everything else comes out of that. So what we're trying to do is to hear that good news. And in this conversation, we began by looking at the word Christ, because that's a church word. We don't use it outside of church unless we swear a lot, in which case you probably shouldn't, and you should use it only in church. But the word Christ means king. It's a word that describes how someone became a king. They were they were christened with uh, with an ointment, and then they would become king, the way we today say they were crowned. So we learned about how uh, Christ came. He was not just any king, but he was the one that God had promised long ago, the one who would who would fix everything. And we also learned what God was doing, what we learned what God's agenda was, this this idea that God has an agenda that is revealed in the scriptures, that God is really about two things. God created everything good, and when it went bad, God resolved to put things right again. So we learned about creation and the restoration of creation, but we also learned about covenant, which is that God looks at us, and even though we are tainted by that spoiling that has taken place in creation, even though we bear the marks of what has gone wrong in creation. God does not hate us. God actually loves us, and God has made a commitment. God has covenanted with us to see us through until perfection is restored to creation. That God looks at us and doesn't love us because we're perfect. God loves us and wants to make us perfect again. So that's what we've seen so far. And today we're going to we're going to get to the hard part. Today we're going to get to the word died. 
Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So in accordance with the scriptures isn't so bad, but Christ died is hard. And maybe if you've been in church a long time, you're used to this. You know, we hear it every spring around Easter time and you just kind of are used to it. And it's not, it's not something you hear the way people outside the church do. And certainly not the way people, uh, 2000 years ago would have heard when Peter or Paul showed up in their town. What people outside the church mostly think when you tell them Christ died for their sins, is they say, how is that good news for me? Somebody I don't know did something I didn't ask them to do, and I don't even understand how that could somehow be a good thing for me. How is it a good thing that somebody died? That's the way people outside the church usually hear that. Maybe some of you can remember hearing it that way yourself. I can remember hearing it that way. And unfortunately, what the church often does is it closes its ears. It says, well, that's blasphemy. You shouldn't talk that way. And we don't tell them how it's good news. Instead, we say, well, you should hear it the way I hear it. So if somebody asks you, well, what, how is that? How is that good news? We say, it's good news because now you can spend eternity with the God who's angry at you because you're a sinner. And people go, Thanks, no. That doesn't sound like a great way to spend eternity. I don't want to spend eternity with anyone who's angry with me, much less a God who's angry with me. And then depending on your tradition, maybe some some of you have been in churches like this, what they then do is they deputize everybody in the church to go out and tell that good news to their friends and neighbors. Go out and recruit people with a message that they can now, because of what Jesus has done, they can spend eternity with a God who's angry at them because they're sinners. That is, that is the way the gospel has been heard by too many people. They've heard it as this bizarre transaction where a stranger does something unusual on their behalf in order to get them a prison sentence in eternity with a God who's angry at them. And then we wonder, why are we so ineffective at evangelism? Why is it that people don't hear this the way I would like them to hear it? Because it doesn't make any sense. The problem with that gospel is it's so close to being the gospel that if you're already used to the gospel, you just hear it and say, yeah, that's not the way I would put it, but yeah, that's basically right. We don't hear it the way people outside the church hear it. We don't hear it the way people did outside the church 2,000 years ago. So what we're going to try and do is peel back Back to the basics, back to what Paul talked about in this passage where he tells us what the good news was that he had passed on. So picture yourself today and a stranger from out of town, Paul or Peter, shows up and you've never heard of Christianity. And Paul says, you know, how's it going? What, you know, what's, what, what, what's the good news? And Paul says, I've actually got some good news. Let me tell you some good news. And he says, Christ the king died in accordance with the scriptures and was buried. You might say, well, what's good news about that? All I hear about these days is death. I don't know why one more death is good news. Did you see this thing in the news the other day? The shootings in Oregon? That's not good news. How about the boats in the Mediterranean sinking, filled with migrants trying to get to Europe? I'm tired of death. There's bombings in Syria. There's the Taliban recapturing cities in Afghanistan. I'm tired of death. I just saw 
a story, stranger. I saw a story in the Alaska Dispatch News, the ADN. I saw a story, stranger, about how 10% of all Anchorage Fire Department transports are for drug use, a drug called Spice, and how people have died because they had one transport in the morning and they had another transport in the evening and the second transport they didn't live. I'm tired of hearing about death, stranger. I don't want to hear about one more death. I don't see how what you're telling me can be good news. And the stranger says, well, let me tell you about the God that I serve. He says, this death is a special death. This death is in accordance with the scriptures. This death is from a God who knows about all these other things, who knows about all the ways the world has gone wrong, and who doesn't just sit up on Olympus and say, not my problem. This is a God who has covenanted, a God who has made a contract, a God who has promised to do something about it. And what he promised is he would send a king. He would send a king to set things right. And he did that in our holy books years ago, years ago, through prophets like Isaiah who said there would be a king who would come and he would suffer as part of this plan that God has to put an end to everything that's wrong with creation. And the good news I've got is he has done it. It's no longer just a promise that's going to be fulfilled someday. It's actually happened. The king that God promised has come. And he's died. And if you're like me, you'd interrupt at that point and you'd say, yeah, but he died. How is this going to succeed? How is this going to change anything? How will this make God's plan succeed? And the stranger would say, well, I haven't told you the rest of the verse yet. I'll come to that next week. But he would say this. He would say, this is what kings do. You know, years ago, when my brother was in the army, I got to be part of the audience at the, the graduation ceremony at basic training. I know uh, some of you have been in basic training and you've done the same thing. At the end of basic training, there is a um, rehearsal of the oath that people take when they're inducted into the military. And in it, they promise to defend the country from all enemies, foreign and domestic. It's a very moving ceremony. People in the audience are moved by it. Certainly the people who are taking the oath, are moved by it. Historically, this is what kings do. We realize that in society, there are people who are set apart to put themselves between war's desolation and their homeland, to put themselves between the people they love and harm's way. And historically, this was the job of the king. The king was the one who died for his country, the one who led his people, and if it came to it, died for his people. So to a person 2,000 years ago, they would have said, well, that at least makes some sense. I can understand how a king might die to achieve this great goal. And it probably makes more sense than we realize to us. You know, to us, kings are these weird vestigial things. They appear in tabloids. We don't know what to do with kings. But how many of you have seen the movie, The the Two Towers, the second of the Lord of the Rings movies? The Lord of the Rings, so a couple of hands. Okay, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, one of the characters in it is the king of Rohan. And in 
in it, he dies in battle. And what he tells one of the hobbits is he says, I go now to my father's, these, this line of kings that has come before him. And he says, in whose company I need not be ashamed. As a king, he knew that that's what kings sometimes are called on to do, to give their lives for the people whose king they are. So he says, I will not be ashamed in that company of kings because I will have done what kings are called to do. So the first part of Paul's or Peter's answer to us would have been, sometimes that's exactly what kings are called to do. But you asked about how one more death could be a good thing in a world filled with death and bitterness and anger and hostility, racism, injustice, war, violence. How could one more death be a good thing? And they would say, in accordance with the scriptures, in our scriptures, we believe that God is actually doing something. And our scriptures tell us that the one who would come, this king who would come, would break the power of sin. That this was not simply one more death. This was the death that broke the power of sin. Now, the church has spent 2,000 years trying to figure out this great mystery, exactly how that worked, what caused that to happen. And I'll spare you, because that would take too long. But if you go back to the podcast, if you go online, listen to the sermon podcast from 2012, it's actually out there still, I preached a sermon where I went through the different theories about the about what happened on the cross. And since then, in the past three years, I've come across two more theories because people just keep coming up with them. And I love both of these. So I'm going to share them with you very quickly. Albert Schweitzer, about a 100 years ago, he came up with this theory of what happened on the cross or his, his picture to describe what happened. He said Jesus looked at the world and he looked at sin as kind of a, a steamroller that just rolled through the world wrecking things. And it just destroyed whatever it came in contact with. Sin is like a steamroller rolling through the world. And Jesus is like somebody who said, I know how to solve this problem. And he threw himself under the wheel. And he was destroyed. But the steamroller's wheel began to roll backwards. That by giving himself, Jesus reversed the tide and sin's power was broken. Another image is this, uh, Tom Wright, uh, former bishop in England, he has this image. He says, Jesus came as a sinless person, and sin tried to get in him, and it couldn't. Sin never got into him, it never infected him the way it has infected us. And sin kept trying and failing. Sin kept clinging to Jesus, trying to get inside, and it could not get inside. And on the cross, all the sin of the world that was sticking to Jesus, hung there with him, and God's wrath was poured out on the sin that clung to Jesus. And so sin was mortally wounded. Sin was sin had its power broken. There's still sin in the world. Paul Paul admits that right here in this letter we read today. There is suffering. There's still sin in the world, but it no longer is guaranteed to win every battle. There are battles that sin will lose. There are battles we can have with sin. And because its power has been broken, we can win because of what Christ has done. So why don't we see more of that? Well, you know, we do. We do. 
we see examples. The things that we admire most, the Christians who lean into this, who realize that because of what Christ has done, sin's power is broken. The worst that sin can do is kill us the way it killed Jesus. And he rose again, and he, he promised that we would too. People who lean into this promise, lean into this reality, are the ones we admire. You think of someone like Corrie Ten Boom and her sister and father who protected Jews during the Holocaust. And they got sent to a concentration camp, and Corrie's sister and her father died. Corrie lived through the war. We admire her because she leaned into the idea that sin doesn't have to win. The doctors who treat Ebola, the ones we were reading about a year ago, and we say, who would do that? The ones who leaned into the promise that sin cannot destroy us. The martyrs in Oregon. The ones who had the opportunity to say, I'm not a Christian. And could have been shot in the legs. And instead said, I am a Christian and died. They leaned into the reality that because Christ has died, sin's power is broken. So let me ask you, how can you lean into this? What might your life be like if you could lean into the reality? Because most of us are not going to be facing life or death decisions. We're going to be facing inconvenience. We're going to have a little bit of hardship. We're going to have to to maybe work a little harder. We're going to have to push back when the world pushes on us for us to live out the reality of what Christ has won for us. We're going to have to push back when the world pushes on us. When our marriage is difficult, we can't simply punch out and say, that's it, I'm out of here. We're going to have to lean in. When work is hard, when we see bullying at school, we're going to have to push back. What would our lives be like? What addictions could we conquer? What violence could we face? How would we spend our PFDs if we leaned into this? Because what the scriptures tell us is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. And so the power of sin has been broken. We are no longer weak. Christ came when we were weak, and now we are not weak. We can win a battle with sin. What would the world be like if Christians everywhere lived this out? What might the world be like if we could all live into our context the way Corey Tinboom or the Ebola doctors lived into theirs? What would the world be like? Christ came, the king that God had promised in the scriptures. Christ came and died for our sins, and he broke the power of sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks for Christ. We give thanks that the king you promised came and that however it works, all the theories of reconciliation, whatever happened there on the cross, that sin's power was broken. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to live into that reality. Help us to push back when the world pushes on us. Help us to be champions who overcome the way our king overcame. We pray it all in his name. Amen.